after having gone several months, just need to remind you where it is that we started at, Hebrews chapter number 5. And look there, if you would, in verse number 12, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says, for when for the time. So he's talking to some believers that have been saved a considerable length of time. Maybe they've been saved a few years, many years. And he writes to these, for when for the time, as much time as you've been saved, for when for the time, ye ought to be teachers. You should already know enough by this length of time being saved that you should be teaching others about the Christian life. Again, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. He says, instead of being equipped by this time to teach others, you really need to go back and be taught again. And so, but we began there because it talks about principles. If you remember from that very first week, we looked at what principles are. And basically, they're rules that we follow, guidelines that we use. They're not as much the doctrines that we believe as the methods that we live day by day. And so we began to look at principles. Of course, it talks about principles, of the uh, first principles of the oracles of God. So all of our principles come from the scriptures. We know some scriptures are general in what they're saying, some far more specific. And we know if you just do it because they're being forced upon you, then they're really just standards. On the other hand, if you have embraced these things personally, they become convictions. With that foundation, we began to look at some principles that we should be living by. We looked at the principle of separation, the principle of always putting God first, the principle of consecration, heavenly affections, authority, the principles of temptation and finishing and then last time we looked at the principle of concentration. And we looked at the fact that the Christian life is compared to a race. And if you're a runner in the race, you dare not look behind you. That will shoot you off guard. You don't look at what's happening on either side. And you don't even be intimidated by what's before you. But the Bible says we look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, Pastor, what principle are we looking at tonight? Look there at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, a very familiar verse, and it's a very familiar principle. Now, the fact that you are here on a Wednesday night would suggest that you're already practicing this. There in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The principle that we're looking at tonight is the principle of church. And again, I know that you're here, and maybe this needs to be preached to the people that aren't here. But uh, it's a principle that we need to learn. It's a principle that we need to teach those that are in our family. And the reason why some churches grow and some churches struggle in growth some of it is because some of the people that attend the church attend the church when it's convenient and fits into their schedule. Other folks have got hold of this principle of church and they practice it and God has blessed them. And so again, if you're taking notes tonight, we're looking at the principle of church. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you 
that not only in the Bible do we have doctrines that we're to believe, but Lord, we also have principles that we're to follow. And Lord, sometimes when we face decisions, it's not a doctrinal decision. Sometimes it's a decision that a principle will carry us through that even though there's not a specific principle on that decision. So Lord, I pray to help us tonight. Very common verse that we began with and a very common principle. Help us to not only get a hold of this truth ourselves, but Lord, help us in the ones that we can influence our children and our grandchildren, maybe others that we would teach in a class or those that we work beside at some job. Help us to be able to somehow relate to them that this is an important principle in our lives. Teach us tonight on the principle of church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, look there in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. I know it's a very familiar verse, and it's certainly the principle that we're looking at tonight. But it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And so again, he's talking about a church. Now, you know that it's true that the word church, it, it's not just mentioned once or twice. If you're writing anything down, the word church shows up 114 times in our Bible. Now, that would indicate that church is a Bible principle. But strange about those 114 times, all 114 times that the word shows up, it shows up in the New Testament. So this is a New Testament principle, this business of being faithful to a church. And uh, I know that that's exactly what you and I are doing tonight. We're faithful to a church, middle of the week. We've gathered ourselves together. And we have, as much as it might be inconvenient with the many things that you have going on in life, you're here because you've established this principle. Now, again, of the 114 times, sometimes that word church is referring to that unseen body of Christ that you and I were made members of the moment that we got saved. So we became part of an unseen church. I'm not talking about Golden Plains Baptist Church. We became part of an unseen church the moment that we got saved. Let me just give you a couple verses to verify that. Keep your hand in Hebrews. Look there in Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5. So sometimes we call that unseen body. Sometimes we call it the body. Sometimes it's called the body of Christ. Sometimes it's called the church, singular. There in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. So again, sometimes when the Bible makes a reference to a church, it's this unseen church. Some that are critical of that position, they refer to it as the universal church. And if you go to some churches, they'll make fun and they'll say, now you don't believe in a universal church, do you? Because they don't. Many of the times when the word church shows up, it's talking about a local church. Golden Plains Baptist Church is a local church. But there is another church. 97 times of the 114 when it speaks of church, it's talking about a local church. But if you can do your math, 114, subtract 97, 
17 other times the word church is not referring to a local church. Having said all that, when we get back there to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 about the assembling, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Pastor, which church is that? Well, it can't be the unseen church because you were automatically made a part of that the moment that you got saved. This command to assemble in a church that command is to assemble in a local church. And again, uh, there are many people that don't think that that's important, but the writer of this, this verse says it's a principle, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Let's see what we can learn about this principle of the church. First of all, again, look at Hebrews 10.25. I want you to notice something that we do not find in the verse. Now, that's a little harder to find something that's not there. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I want you to notice, first of all, the place for church. If you take notes, that's the first note. The place for church. First thing to have you notice, it doesn't specify the place that you're to assemble for a church, and you know it, and I know it, that across this world there are local churches that are meeting in an untold number of places. Sure enough, some are meeting in an established church building. That's true. That's what we're meeting in tonight. This is an established church building. But not all local churches are meeting in a building like this. We know that some are meeting in a rented school. We know that some churches are meeting in a storefront. And some churches tonight are meeting in a community center or a senior citizen's hall. And so there are a multitude of places where churches meet. And I want you to notice the first thing that's found is what's not found. It doesn't tell us the place where a church has to meet. The truth is, many churches, they started in homes. Let me show you the verse on that. Keep Hebrews 10, if you would, and look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I've been asked this question a number of times by people who have visited the church. They say, Preacher, it sounds like you're against a church that meets in a home. And uh, I'd say, why would you say that? Well, you're constantly talking and harping on meeting in a church, meeting together as a church. And my answer to them is, well, it wouldn't be logical for me to be against churches that meet in a house because many of the churches in the New Testament, they began in a house. Look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 19. Paul writes this, The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Many churches started in houses. That was 1 Corinthians. Look uh, next at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 15. And so I would suggest that we would be foolish if we said that any church that met in a house is unscriptural because many of the churches in the Bible, that's how they began. 
Colossians chapter 4, look again at verse number 15. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 15 says there, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. One more place, if you look at it, in Philemon, that's First uh, and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, right before Hebrews. There in Philemon, it's only one chapter long. Paul wrote this letter to a man named Philemon. Look there in verse number two. Philemon chapter one, verse two, and to our beloved Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. So I'm just making the point that as far as the place for church, sometimes it's in an established building like we are. Sometimes it's a storefront, sometimes it's a rented school, sometimes it's a senior's complex. Sometimes a church meets in a house, and we understand that. The problem is that there are some people who meet for church in a house, and they don't ever have any goal of getting bigger. They don't have any goal of reaching into their town. They're satisfied with me, my wife, my son, his wife, us four no more. They don't want any more. That has become their end product meeting in a house. How many understand the difference? It's one thing to start in a house. And as you're reaching out into your community, you've got more families come and more individuals come. And at some point, you reach the glorious landmark of realizing we're too big for this house. And so you begin to look for a bigger place. And I'm saying there is nothing wrong if you're meeting in a house and that's how you're starting a church. The people that have gotten sick and tired of what we would call established churches and have pulled themselves out of every church, and they've decided we're just simply going to meet in our house instead, and that's their end goal. That's what the scriptures has a problem with. Uh, there we've had visitors and visitors through the years. I remember many years ago, probably 20, we had a family come and visit a Sunday night. What a blessing. It's always a blessing to have visitors. After the service, I walked up to them, and I asked the particular lady, I said, we're so glad you came. How far did you come? And they came about an hour and a half. And I said, we're thankful. That's a long way to drive. I said, where do you go to church? That's a natural question. And she looked at me and she said, you don't want to know. <laughs> well, if someone gives you the answer now, you really want to know. I said, no, I, I do. I, I want where to go to church. And she said, we have a house church. Well, you know what's happened in my head at that moment. Are they starting in their house? And are they intending to reach out and build the work until one day it needs something bigger? Or has this family pulled themselves out of church A and tried church B and that didn't work, tried church C, and finally decided we're not going to any church. We're going to be satisfied in our house. Folks, there's a world of a difference. I remember in this town, the early years of our church, there was a, there was a young man that was very upset with us. At that time, we'd been meeting in the Elks Hall and we handed out invitations and we advertised that we were meeting in the Elks Hall. 
And he probably wrote me a letter every three or four months. And always somewhere in this letter, he was critical of what we were doing. And he said, you shouldn't be meeting uh, where you're meeting. And he always quoted Acts 7.48. He said, how be it the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And that was his telltale verse to say, if you were a real church, you wouldn't meet in a building. And so I, he never put his return address. I figured from him writing he was in town. One day I knocked on his door. <laughs> and I just put two and three together and it came up with seven. And I said, you've written me before. He said, yes, I have. He said, I'm kind of upset with your little group. I said, why are you so upset? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. I don't think you as a church should meet in a building made with hands. I said, well, do you attend church? He said, sure. I said, where do you attend church? Well, in someone's house. I said, whose hands made that house? That ended it. He slammed the door and that was it. First thing, we're looking at the principle of church, and the first thing we learn is the place for church. And you know, the Lord said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So it doesn't take many, and it doesn't even take a specific place, but it does require the intent of gathering together in the name of our Lord. I give you a second thing that we learn from the text. There in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So the indication is you need to make a point in your Christian life of regular gathering together and don't become like those that have decided that's no longer important. What he's trying to say is that there is an importance in gathering in church. If you've already written down the place for church, could you write down the second thing? And that's the priority of church. The priority of church. He's making a big deal to these that he's writing. That there have many, many, many people decided it's not really that important. I don't need to meet. I don't need to assemble with other believers. I don't need to gather. But to the contrary, he's saying there should be a priority in your life to gather. It's important. I think one of the greatest Old Testament types of church, even though I've said the word church doesn't show up in the Old Testament, is we know that Moses delivered the nation of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. We know the very first thing, they crossed through the Red Sea. Then they came to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God gave them the laws by which they were to govern. God also gave them the blueprint for the tabernacle. That tabernacle is the closest thing that we would call a church in the Old Testament. We know that it took uh, almost a year to assemble all the parts of the tabernacle. When that tabernacle was finally assembled, then as we read the book of Numbers, chapter 1, it talks about the fact that the Levites, the, the priests, the preachers, they were all to be situated around that tabernacle. Then the Bible says there in Numbers chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, 
that all the rest of the tribes were then to be assemble, assembled around that tabernacle, tabernacle outside Levites. In other words, if there was a stranger on the mountainside at a distance from where Israel was encamped, they would see a strange thing. They would see all the tents of all those Jews, and they were all set up around one central thing in their camp. And that central thing in their camp was a tabernacle. A stranger observing that would almost notice the fact that there is a priority around that tabernacle. And folks, there is. Now, I think I'm in this building too much of the week. <laughs> I have said this to people that, you know, quite honestly, church is my second home. And once in a while, my family wonders whether it's my first home. But I think many of us could say that. We have a home, and we all have responsibilities and the rest of that, but church is a priority in our life. Church has become very important that all the rest of the engagements and all the rest of the plans are kind of set up around the priority of a church. I wish that all of God's people could say that, but they can't. i give you a third thing quickly. Look there in Acts chapter 2. I'm trying to give you a third, the purpose of church. We've looked at the place for church. There's no specific location that's demanded as long as it's a place where God's people gather. Secondly, we've looked at the priority of the church. It's really to be central in the life of every believer. Third thing we look at here in Acts 2 and verse 41 is the purpose of the church. Preacher, what's a church to accomplish in our life. Well, look there in Acts chapter 2. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends back to heaven. In Acts chapter 2, we know that Peter and the other apostles, that they began to preach in the streets of Jerusalem. And the Bible says because of their preaching, look there in Acts 2 and verse 41, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, so they first got saved, next they got baptized. And the Bible says, in the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so that was a red-letter day in the history of the early church. 3,000 believers because of the preaching of those apostles that day. Now, no doubt for those 12 apostles, they were excited about the results of the day. But now they realized we have a great concern. How are we going to keep these people plugged in, faithful to God, staying on track? How are we going to keep these people doing what God says is right to do? And you know the rest of chapter 2 tells us exactly how that was accomplished? Look there in verse number 42. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly. And again, we'll look at it real quick, but what's happening in the remaining verses of chapter 2 is really the purpose of the church. The reason that we want folks to visit this church and the reason that we want visitors to continue coming to this church, the reason that we would like them one day to get saved and to get baptized and join the membership 
that's not the end of God's plan is when they get saved. That's merely the beginning of God's plan. You say, okay, preacher, what is the purpose of the church? Well, look at the list he gives, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Would you write just some words down beside this word purpose? The first purpose of a church is doctrine. And I know that doctrine is sometimes dry and doctrine is sometimes hard to get your fingers into. But you know, one of the purposes of the church is to teach the doctrines of what God says is so and not so. There's a lot of folks that attend a church and they never learn the Bible. That's the first church, or first reason is doctrine. Uh, keep going, the second per, uh, reason. It says in verse 42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Do you know the second reason for the church is so God's people can spend time with God's people? Fellowship. To encourage each other. You know, it's not true that not everybody comes to church for doctrine. Some of them just come for the encouragement to be around others of God's people. Sometimes when we use that word fellowship, we're thinking about our Sunday night fellowship hall. But the truth is that word fellowship is spending time with other believers, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Fellowshipping includes eating meals together and banquets and barbecues and ball games and having folks over. And that'll be the source of much joy, and that'll also be the time where tears are shed. Pastor, what is the purpose of the church? First is doctor. Second, write down fellowship. Third one, and I always get a bit of a spat over this one, but look at it, verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. Most of the commentaries will tell you that that breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper. And so therefore they would say that one of the reasons that we attend church is for the Lord's Supper. And certainly it's the Lord's Supper we partake of in church. Could I suggest to you that not every time in the scriptures when bread is broken, it is the Lord's It's not. In fact, you're in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 46. It says, and they, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I don't know anybody that would say verse 46, breaking bread in their houses was the Lord's Supper. I think that breaking bread is eating together, but for the sake of this message, we're looking at the purpose of the church First one is doctrine. The second one is fellowship. If in that statement, breaking of bread, we're not going to emphasize the bread, could we emphasize the breaking? Do you know every meal, somebody has to do the preparing for that meal? And if you would write the third word for the purpose of the church is service. God wants to engage every Christian in some kind of service. You know it's true that if you're just sitting on the sidelines and watching, you're usually not very engaged. If you've ever been in somebody else's vehicle and they drove you from point A to point B, if you weren't the one driving, 
then you might not have been paying very close attention. And so I remember the first few times that I came to visit some of your houses, I remembered how to get there because I was the one that had the steering wheel in my hands and I was doing the driving. But if you had asked other members of the family who were in the same vehicle that got to the same destination, if the next time that they could drive, they said, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute, whoa. where do you turn? And how far do you drive? And how long would it take? Just like that, do you know within the setting of a church that if you just continue to come, but you don't somehow roll up your sleeves and get engaged in serving, it won't have the same value to you. No wonder some people, when it comes to church, are hit and miss. Because they don't have a part that they do. So again, as far as the purpose of the church, we'd say first purpose is to learn doctrine, second one, to have fellowship, third, begin to serve. I think that every Christian in a church ought to find a ministry that they can do. Fourth one, keep reading verse 42. After the breaking bread is prayers. And so the fourth reason, purpose of the church is pray. Certainly we pray a great deal. Fifth thing, look, uh, jump there to verse 47. Praising God. This is continuing in the purpose of the church. Could you write down the fifth word, worship? And you know, part of the purpose of a church is to get God's people to worship God, to praise God. I see a sixth thing there, again in verse 47. It says, and having favor with all the people. I suggest to you that that's having a good testimony. The church will help you to have a good testimony. Good testimony in your community, a good testimony where you work. The church will help you to have a good testimony. Then the very last part of verse 47, it says there, and the Lord added to the church daily. Could I take that phrase, and you've heard me say it before, but the other purpose of the church is to get God's people to take the gospel out into this world. And I say the, the seventh word is witnessing. Oh, that's the church. We have looked tonight here at the place for the church. There's no specific place. As long as God's people are gathering together to worship him, the priority of the church, it should be central to every believer's life, the purpose of the church. But finally back there in Hebrews chapter 10, I'll be done with this. Hebrews chapter 10, again, we're looking at the principle of church. I wonder if your neighbors have noticed Three times a week, getting your family in the vehicle and heading off. My pastor back in Niagara Falls, he always used to make such fun of this. He'd open the Venetian blinds. Mavis, they're going to church again. This is the third time this week. And you know, the world doesn't understand that. They don't understand why on earth you keep going to that church. Don't we wish that they were curious enough just to come and find out? Well, can I say to you the, the uh, fourth thing that we learn about this principle of the church? Look there in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And then we've already read verse 25. Pastor, why did you back up to verse 23? 
because the verse that we all know, verse 25, ends with a period, but it didn't begin with verse 25. What ended the end of verse 25 actually began in verse 23. And so the last thing that we learn here is the participation in church. The participation in church. Notice verse 23, let us. Look at verse number 24, and let us. Isn't it true over these last few years? There have been many people that used to be faithful in church. They just stopped coming. And they, they gave a reason for why they stopped coming. But many of them have decided simply to stay home and either turn on a television to watch church or to get on computer internet and to watch that. And could I say that if your church has shifted from gathering together, being with other believers, finding some kind of a service that you could do within your congregation of believers, if your style of church has shifted from that kind to the kind where you're sitting in your living room with a Tim Horton coffee and your slippers on, and you're watching it, you are no longer able to do what verse 23 and 24 says. Because verse 23 says, let us. Verse 24 says, let us. Notice the rest of verse 24. Consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So when you came into this building tonight, one of the unwritten assignments that God's word gave to you was to provoke others to love and to provoke others to good works. And just as much as that's my job in your life, it's likewise your job in my life. So that's where we get this idea of the participation in church. And if your church has only become one-dimensional, it's what they can do for me church will never be to you what God planned for it to be to you. And folks, we all know people. And they no longer pack up their family and put them in a vehicle and drive to church. And they no longer on their way say, God, I, I need you to give me something. Help me from Sunday to Wednesday and Wednesday to Sunday. And Lord, help me to help somebody else. Somebody has made the analogy that church really is like a ball game. And not just simply being in the stands and watching it. But instead the church is like being on one of the baseball team, on the team. And being on the baseball team, uh, we don't just cheer when one of the players hits the ball. We cheer when they get to first base. And we keep cheering for them till they get to the second base and finally the third base and finally the home plate. We continue to cheer until they make it all the way around and finally score. And it's not just a hit that matters. It's the fact that they have completed everything that we're supposed to. And they said, just like that in a church. It's not, we haven't achieved our goal when that visitor comes in for the very first time. We're looking for them to come again, and we're cheering for them to do that. 
and we're looking for them to, uh, to uh, make a profession of faith and get baptized and join the church and get involved in ministry and pray. And that's what church is all about. And some people think that church is like sitting in the stand. And you've got a Coke in one hand and your hot dog in the other hand. And you're just going to cheer when your team gets a point and boo. And church is never intended to be like that. Church is supposed to be something that spurs you on. I think I've given this illustration before, but it's fitting. And it's a fitting reminder of what happens to people that church is no longer important. And the story is told that a man who went to visit a church and been a part of a church for several years, then he stopped coming. And one day his pastor unannounced, one evening dropped by, knocked on his door. And the man opened the door and a little bit surprised that his pastor was there, wasn't totally shocked, he figured he'd be coming. He knew why his pastor had come. And the whole way that pastor driving to the house, Lord, I, I need you to give me the right words. Because so many are just, they've got a chip on their shoulder and they'll be offended if you say it wrong. And so the man invited him in and the two of them sat on chairs and they were all staring at a fireplace. And they were staring at a roaring fire. That pastor again, not sure what to say, so he didn't say anything. That man knew he had no defense for laying in a church, so he didn't say anything. And after a few minutes, that pastor picked up the fire tongs and he took one of those logs out of the fire and he set it down there on the floor and just sat back in the chair and they watched. They both watched. And they watched that log over the next number of minutes. Soon the fire stopped. And soon those warm embers began to go cold. And they just sat there long enough, didn't say a single word, and they watched that once glowing piece of wood just sit there. Then the pastor got up and he took those tongs and he put it back in that fire. And in short order, that same log lit again and flame started. After a little bit more, it turned red. That pastor said, well, he said, I think it's time for me to go. I sure enjoyed the visit. And you know that man, he rose to his feet and he said, I appreciate your message, pastor. I'll be in church on Sunday. Now, folks, you can give all the excuses in the world you want about why you weren't there. But that's what happens in a Christian's life when he's not in the place that God has for him. Just starts to cool down. There's no fire, no spiritual fire in his bones anymore. That's why I said not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. The principle of church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. And Lord, I know that all of us have times when we're tired, when we're weary, when we're disappointed with people, when we're offended by what people have said. That's true for everybody. 
Lord, we've seen tonight and been reminded of the principle of church and how, God, you designed the church to be the means by which those 3,000 in Acts 2 continued steadfastly. Lord, I pray for each one that's in this church. Lord, these folks are already practicing this principle. Pray for each one that you'd help them to continue to be faithful, that their hearts and their lives and their testimonies would continue to be a glowing example before others. Lord, I pray for folks, maybe even folks in the church. They've lost the priority of church. Help them to get it back. Lord, help us as their church family to help them back. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.